So the following story is purely fictitious. Not true. Who ate the last piece of cake? All eyes turn my direction, and I feel the heat of their accusatory stare. I didn't eat the last piece of cake, I say. But I can tell from their look that they are still not buying it, and so I double down. I swear I didn't eat the last piece of cake. Now, if they doubt me at this point, I'm going to be offended. Because I just said, I swear. It's like I put my integrity on the line. I put my name on the line, and I said, I didn't do it. Uh, if they're still not buying it, I do have other options. I could swear on my mother's life that I didn't eat the last piece of cake. I could swear on my mother's grave that I didn't eat the last piece of cake. I could swear on a stack of Bibles. I could even swear to God, like the, the granddaddy of them all. I could swear to God that I didn't eat the last piece of cake. And if I'm lying, when I say I swear to God, may the earth open up and swallow me to invoke God's name and then to lie. I can't think of a, a more dangerous thing. So like I said, the story did not happen. If it happened, this is probably how it would have played out. Who ate the last piece of cake? All eyes turned to me. Instead of saying anything, I just turn and look at Stella, our Labrador retriever. <laughs> Put my hands on my hip, kind of cock my head sideways. I don't have to say a thing. I'm technically not lying. And Stella takes one for the team. We are uh, continuing our series, the, the Cost of Discipleship, and uh, we are at that point, we're working through a book written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer titled The Cost of Discipleship, and we're at that point in his book where he works through the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been doing that for a couple weeks now, and I, I want to remind you of the, the context. So Jesus uh, is becoming really well known, and on this particular day, there is a huge crowd of people that have come out to see Jesus, to, to hear him. They've heard so much about him. They want to witness him firsthand, and they've come from everywhere. And Jesus looks at the huge crowd, and he withdraws from the huge crowd with just his small group of disciples. And he begins to teach them about what it means to be a disciple, what differentiates you from the crowd of spectators. Like there's some things that are to be different. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about that when he wrote to the Romans, he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, be different than the crowd. There's a way that the crowd lives. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are not to conform to it. We're not to conform to the world, but we're to be transformed. We're to live differently. And so the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, this is how you are. To live. And so far we've talked about uh, murder. The crowd says, the world says, and even God says in the Old Testament, you shall not murder. Everybody understands, you shall not murder. But Jesus says, I tell you, you shouldn't even harbor anger towards your brother or your sister. The world says, and God says in his commandments, thou shall not commit adultery. We understand adultery is a bad thing. But Jesus says, I tell you, if you even look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've committed adultery. And so now we're going to turn to the, the subject of oaths. 
of your word. The world says, don't break your oath. Like, if you swear to something that it's true, it better be true. But Jesus says, don't even be a person who has to make oaths. If you're a person who has to say, I swear, to get people to believe you, it's a sign that you've got bigger problems. There's a credibility problem with your word. So join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, which is a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that you would shine the light of your truth in our hearts and our minds. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're reading today from Matthew 5, verse 33 to 37. Again, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So I find in this teaching a, a little bit like the, the proverbial onion, there's layers to this teaching. And there's an immediate application that seems fairly obvious to us, but then we peel the onion back and there's a little bit more going on here. So we've got three layers to the onion. On the surface level, I think it's just saying this. If you didn't eat the cake, say, I didn't eat the cake, and let it rest at that. If you ate the cake, say, I ate the cake, and let it rest at that. Don't be a person who makes oaths. Don't be a person who says, I swear. Not by your name, not by your mother's name, not by your mother's life, not by your mother's grave. Leave your mother out of it. Don't swear on a stack of Bibles. And by all means, don't swear to God. I swear to God. As a, a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to eliminate that phrase from our vocabulary altogether. It's never appropriate to say, I swear to God. So don't make oaths, Jesus says. Oaths and vows, those two words are very similar and they kind of run a parallel path, but they are different from one another. So an oath is a, a communication between two parties that invokes usually God's name or maybe your mother's name, as a guarantor that what you're saying is truthful. That's an oath. I swear to God that I did not eat the last piece of cake. That's an oath. Jesus says, don't do it. A vow is a pledge that's made primarily with God, and it requires that you fulfill your vow. So God's word tells us don't make oaths. In relation to vows, God says make them, but only make them very cautiously and very carefully. In Ecclesiastes, we read it's better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. 
So we might ask, what did Jesus have against oaths? Like, what, what's the big deal about oaths anyway? And, and there's two things, and the first thing we're not going to fully understand because we are culturally removed from the first century. Uh, it's a bit ironic that oaths, the way they were made uh, to guarantee the truth, were actually often used as very clever ways to camouflage the truth. Like, people used oaths not to tell the truth, but actually to get away with a lie. In Jewish teaching, there was this long list of what oaths you made and which ones were binding, like you better be telling the truth, and which ones, if you told them this way, you actually didn't have to be telling the truth. So for example, if you swore by Jerusalem, we read that in this passage, don't swear by Jerusalem. If you swore by Jerusalem, in Jewish teaching, it wasn't binding. Well, I only swore to Jerusalem, so it's not binding. But if you swore towards Jerusalem, I don't even know what that means, it was binding. If you swore by heaven and earth, it was not binding. But if you swore by the God of heaven and earth, then it was binding. So it'd be like us today saying that if you uh, say, I, I swear that this is true, it's not binding. But if you put your hand on a Bible and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, then it is binding. It's like making these artificial distinctions. It sounds silly to us, but this was really an issue. So much so that Matthew actually brings this up again later in his gospel. In chapter 23, Jesus spent quite a bit of time talking about this. He said, this is chapter 23, verse 16. He said, woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, they're bound by their oath. You blind fools, Jesus said. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gift on the altar, they're bound by that oath. You blind men. What's greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And everyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Can you imagine being a religious leader and coming up with this elaborate system of identifying what oaths had to be truthful and what oaths you could, with the right crafting of the words, you could actually get away with a lie? Again, it seems ridiculous to us. And so Jesus is very clear about the matter, you blind fools. Like, don't try and, and parse the words one way so that you can get away with a lie. This, I think a lot of our, you know, legalese often plays on this. If you just put the words the right way and you use the right words, you can get away with a lie. Jesus is saying, don't do it. Don't be, don't be a fool. So the second reason Jesus is opposed to oaths is because, oddly enough, an oath legitimizes the existence of a lie. An oath legitimizes lies. If an oath signifies that I intend to tell the truth now because I've told, made an oath, it means that if I don't make an oath, well, I might tell the truth, 
but I might not. How many times uh, have you watched a movie and you've heard the line from the lawyer say, let me remind you, sir, ma'am, that you are under oath. The lawyer is tightening the screws on the witness, warning them, if you say something that's not true because you're under oath, it's a crime. You're committing perjury. But if you're not under oath, I guess you can say whatever you want. Like it no longer matters if you lie. So that day, huddled up with his disciples, Jesus abolishes the distinction between words that must be true because they're said under oath and words that don't have to be true. He abolishes the distinction between words that you must stand behind and words that, that you don't. What he's saying is simply this. All speech is to be truthful. All speech. There's never a time from God's perspective that we are not under oath. We're always under oath. Anytime we speak, it should be truth. So no more oaths. Stop swearing to God, to heaven, to the temple, to anything else. No more oaths. That's the outside of the onion. That's the most obvious application of the teaching. And it would be easy for us to end there because that's something that we can easily apply. But we do have to dig a little deeper. We peel the onion back a little further and we find out that Jesus is not just talking about oaths. He's talking about our, our word. As disciples, we are called to be people of our word. We're called to be trustworthy. We're called to be honest. When we say something, the first instinct of those who are listening to us should be that we're telling the truth. And the reason that's their instinct is because we have a track record. That's just what we do. They've come to know that, that we tell the truth. If the instinct of the people hearing us when we say something is that's probably not true, it's a sign that, that we don't have a good track record. Like we've given people reason to doubt what we're saying. To not make an oath is really not going to differentiate you that much from the world. I, I stopped saying I swear to God, I don't know, decades ago. I can't remember other than this sermon the last time that I said I swear to God. And the world, I don't think, has noticed. Like, hey, Pastor Scott never says, I, don't, I, I swear to God. That's not what's going to differentiate us from the world. But what will, what is noticeable, what stands out today in a crooked world is honesty. That is going to differentiate us from the crowd. We are called to be credible. And the thing about that is that uh, it's easy to be honest when there's no cost. Like we're all honest when there's no cost to us. But as soon as honesty means I, I might lose something, there's a cost to me, that's when it gets hard. And that's when we're called to be, to be honest. So obviously, outright lying destroys our credibility. When we deliberately tell mistruths or or more often half-truths because we're afraid of telling the whole truth, we destroy our credibility. And that's not a little thing. It's not a little thing. If you get caught in a lie, whether that's to your spouse, to your parent, to your child, to a friend, a colleague, a, an employer, 
if you get caught in a lie, the amount of effort that it takes to restore that trust is enormous. One act of telling a lie is not offset by one truth. They are not equal. If you get caught in a lie, it is going to take an enormous amount of truth-telling to restore trust. That's just the way we are. So at the very surface level, Jesus' words, let your yes be yes and your no be no, they're a call to honesty. We are called to be honest. And, and I don't, I mean, this has obviously ever, always been important, but I can't imagine a time that it's been more important than the days that we're living in. Trust today has been so eroded everywhere. I was in Russia in 1991 uh, working with some missionaries. They have a newspaper in Russia called Pravda, which funny enough means truth. A and everybody knew Pravda was not Pravda. Everything published in the Russian newspaper was, was not true, was, was most often deliberately untrue. I start, I'm starting to feel that way in our own country. Like, what do we believe anymore? We've had numerous political leaders that every time they open their mouth, we suspect they're lying. And oftentimes we know they're lying, and yet they just go right ahead and do it, and it seems to be okay. We have news outlets which are so partisan that we wonder, is anything truly objective today? Like, what do we trust that is being told to us? We have access to more information than ever before. I was reading one art author who made the claim that every 13 months, the amount of information that we have access to doubles. Every 13 months. More information than ever before, and oddly enough, less clarity than ever before. Even when facts seem undisputable, we find a way to, to argue about them. Now you can't even trust the images that you see. This has gone well beyond Photoshopping. I mean, we can be watching Tom Hanks movies 100 years from today because they have captured his likeness and, and the way he moves and the way he talks, and they can artificially reproduce Tom Hanks so that we can be watching Tom Hanks movies that are really not Tom Hanks. And what about this sermon? If I wanted to this week with just a few prompts, give me a sermon based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. I could have had a sermon in 10 seconds, which honestly probably would have been better than the one that I prepared this morning. I mean, how do you know that these words came from me? The world is not just slowly sliding towards this abyss of mistrust. We are heading toward the precipice of mistrust at alarming speed. Never has it been more important that we, as disciples of Christ, prove ourselves to be people of our word to be credible. We're called to be witnesses of the greatest truth, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if we're not credible as witnesses with the smaller things, who's going to trust us with the greater things? 
We're called to be credible witnesses in the small things so that we can be trusted in the big things. So that's the, the second layer of the onion. We're called to be credible witnesses, and never has it been more important than it is today. The third layer of the onion has to do with integrity. We're called to integrity. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. This is not just about honesty. It's about integrity. It's about doing the things that you say you're going to do. It's about being a person of your word where you follow through. If you say, I'm going to do that, people know they're going to do that because they gave their word to it. If you say, I'm going to be there, you're there because you're a person of integrity. This is personally for me where I feel the, the most conviction. Too easily, too quickly, I say I will do something and then I don't follow through. So I thought through the last week of my life. Where has this shown up, Pastor Scott, in the last week of your life? Three times this past week. On Monday, I had a, a Zoom meeting with a couple pastors uh, from our, our area. And I was in a bathroom painting and I forgot about the Zoom meeting. Just totally missed it. So I had to go back to them and apologize. On Tuesday morning, I had a haircut with Carrie. My hair is not cut. <laughs> missed it, completely missed it, forgot all about it. I had to double back with Carrie and apologize for that. On Thursday, I, didn't, I have a, a class on Tuesday evening, I'm sorry, I have a class that I, I've started taking. Missed my class, forgot all about it. One week, and I struck out keeping my word, following through on the things that I said I would do which means I've got some gaps in my integrity this week. In the same way that it takes time to rebuild trust when we're caught telling something that's not fully true, it takes time to rebuild integrity. When we have these gaps, people start to doubt us. Yeah, they said they're going to do this, but are they really going to do this? And you know you're in trouble when you no longer even believe yourself. Like when you hear yourself say, I'll do that, and the back of your mind, you know, I'm probably not going to do that. That's when you know that you've arrived and you've got some integrity problems. It is such a gift when you encounter someone who is a person of integrity. It's such a gift when you know they say, I'm going to do it, and you just know it's going to be done because they've given their word to it, and they have consistently demonstrated time and time again that they are a person of their word. And it's such a challenge when we interact with people that are consistently not keeping their word. I was thinking about our relationship to God and how blessed we are that God keeps his word to us. We serve a God who keeps his word. He has ultimate integrity, ultimate honesty. What he says he's going to do, he does. His yes is always yes. His no is no. He's not a God that is driven to and, and fro by the wind. The promises he's made, they, he says, they're all yes in Christ. I'm never going to double back and not keep my word. 